missed this morning's service because we were away uh, with Hamilton Road at Youth Fellowship and it was a good time, um, but forgive me if, I'm, if I sound a little bit tired, uh, it's been a fairly busy weekend. Um, keep that passage open, page 1195. Um, we've got a tough passage to look at tonight, as Christoph's been uh, alluding to. Not because it's difficult to understand, uh, but because it's something that none of us like hearing. Uh, we got the headline there in chapter 2, verse 3. Endure suffering like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Or shall we just pray as we begin? Our Father, please help us uh, as we come to this passage uh, to be humble before it, uh, to learn from you. And we pray that you would stop us in our tracks, uh, perhaps shake up our understanding of what it means uh, to live with Jesus as our King. In his name we pray. Amen. So we said last week that Timothy's job is going to be to entrust the gospel to reliable men who will be able to teach others also. He needs to equip the people in his church to pass the gospel on themselves. And really, the rest of 2 Timothy is kind of like a training manual um, for Timothy and for those that he's training to pass the gospel on. Well, last week, we began to see why the gospel is something that's worth passing on. It's a healthy life-giving message. It's about Jesus destroying death and bringing life and immortality to light. And it comes to us purely through God's grace. It is a healthy message, a life-giving message. And so the aim of gospel leadership is to help people to pass on this life-giving message for themselves. Well, This week, we're going to see what we should expect as we try to pass on this message. And the answer is that we should expect to endure hardship like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Well, just as soldiers need a speech uh, before a map battle, uh, so I think we too need a bit of motivation to do that. And that's what Paul gives us in the rest of this passage this evening. The big thrust of where he's going is that hardship is normal for Christians. Um, and so we shouldn't be surprised or dismayed when it happens to us. Uh, we shouldn't think that we've got something wrong. Um, And in the middle of it, there is also hope um, that will keep us going, even in the midst of hardship. So if we're finding it difficult to chat to friends about Jesus, uh, or we're finding serving Jesus a bit of a slog, I trust that tonight's passage will be an encouragement to us. Um, Paul gives us three things to look at as we try to get our heads around this. Uh, The the first one's about the world, Uh, the second one is about Jesus, and then the third one is about our relationship to Jesus. So firstly, we need to reflect on the way the world works. In verses 3 to 5, Paul gives Timothy three images of everyday normal life. They're almost like little proverbs. Uh, They're pictures of how the world works. And then if you just flip over the page to verse 7, Paul says, Reflect on what I'm saying, for the Lord will give you insight into all this. Well, Paul wants Timothy to reflect on these images, and so that's what we're going to have to do as well if we're going to understand them. Uh, One of the things we do uh, on these Sunday evenings over the last few months is we've taken a bit of time to work in groups to look at the Bible for ourselves, to do a bit of this reflection ourselves. And so I thought these three images would be a good place for us to do that. Um, Lisa, if you can put the question up. Um, We're going to look at these images in little groups and just ask, what does each picture contribute to our understanding of gospel leadership? 
So do you want to turn roughly where you are? Some of us may need to move uh, in order to get into a good grunt, but just, let's just have a look at that for the next five minutes. Okay, shall we um, draw back together? hope we've had a good time reflecting on those, just chewing over um, what's going on with each of those. And I think for the sake of time, we won't take feedback. Um, I'll just kind of run through, but maybe if you, if you sense I'm kind of going wrong, feel free to stick up a hand and we can chat about that. Um, okay, so I, th- I think it's maybe helpful to start off by thinking, are there any common threads in these images? Um, and I think there is. There's some kind of difficulty now, isn't there? Um, followed by some kind of reward. Um, but they've each got a different emphasis, I think. So what do you get with the soldier? Well, it's something like devotedness, isn't it? Single-mindedness. He doesn't get entangled with civilian affairs because he's a soldier, and soldiers go out and do soldier things. So if we've ever known anyone who, who signed up for the army, like maybe they're 16 and off they go and sign up for the army, we know that we wouldn't expect to see them unless they get given leave because they've signed up for the army. Uh, That's the kind of image that Paul's painting. Um, How about the athlete? Well, we said um, over here, we said no shortcuts. And I think that's exactly right. This is talking about how if you're an athlete, you can't expect to just shortcut your way to winning victory. You have to go the long way around. You have to do whatever the rules say. And you have to put a lot of discipline in, in training as well. Um, So we've seen a bit of this, haven't we, over the last couple of weeks uh, with the Winter Olympics. And I was thinking about that girl, that British girl, who got disqualified three times, I think, is that right, for various different rule infractions. Um, and they were very marginal, some of them. But the, the, the thing was, she came out at the end of the day and said, you know, the rules are the rules, and if I've broken them, then fair enough. I don't get to have a medal. At least that was the last interview I saw. I don't know whether that changed. But we, that's what we expect. Athletes have to compete according to the rules. Um, And they have to put a lot of training in as well. Um, I've been particularly gripped by curling fever uh, this week. And I saw something um, from Dave Murdoch, the uh, captain, who was basically saying, since the last Olympics, when they didn't do so well, they now have a new regime where every day they're down at the curling centre throwing stones every, every day. I thought, wow, that is dedication. But you have to be that dedicated, don't you? If you're going to hit one of those stones to within a few millimetres, you're going to have to be dedicated, But it's worth it, at least it is for those athletes, because they want to stand on that podium. They want to share in that victor's crown. Okay, that's the athlete. How about the farmer? Well, this is a bit more of a down-to-earth image, isn't it? This is just saying hard work, daily grind. If you want a share of the crops as a farmer, you're going to have to work. Uh, When I read this, I always think of a poem by Seamus Heaney uh, called Digging. Uh, He describes himself sitting at his desk with his pen in his hand, Uh, And he looks out of his window, and this is what he says he sees. Under my window, a clean, rasping sound, when the spade sinks into the gravelly ground. My father, digging. I look down, till his straining rump among the flower beds, bends low, comes up twenty years away, stooping in rhythm through potato drills, where he was digging. And then he continues to talk about his grandfather. My grandfather cut more turf in a day than any other man on Toner's bog. Once I carried him milk in a bottle, corked sloppily with paper. He straightened up. To drink it, then fell to right away, nicking and slicing neatly, heaving sods, over his shoulder, going down and down for the good turf. Digging. Digging. 
And Paul says we should think of gospel leadership like that, like digging, going down and down every day. Gospel leadership, it's like signing up for the army. It's like preparing for the Olympics. It's like going out to dig. I think it's quite interesting that Paul looks to normal life for his examples here. Uh, He seems to be saying the same principles that apply in normal life apply to Christian leadership. And sometimes I think we don't really do that. We kind of have a barrier between normal life and churchy kind of things. We expect hard work in normal life, um, and we give ourselves to hard work. But in Christian things, we expect it to kind of be easier somehow, plain sailing. Uh, I know that when I stopped working in an office job and started working for a church, uh, I expected it to be somehow easier. I expected maybe to not have to motivate myself to do hard work. But I find that's what I have to do. Um, And I shouldn't be surprised about that. Because Paul says that gospel leadership is spade work. It's like digging. And so I think we should be asking ourselves, do we bring that ethic of of hard work that we often have in normal life into our relationship with Jesus and church and Christian things? I'd like us to think about one particular area uh, in that for a moment, and that's commitment. I think we expect commitment in work. We realize that we have to turn up when our hours say. We expect it on our sports teams. We have to be part of the team. But I think we're also recognizing that our culture is becoming increasingly commitment shy. Uh, There was an article going around on Facebook this week about how young people often Uh, are increasingly wanting community, but just don't seem to be willing to make the sacrifices uh, over the long haul, the commitment, in order to have genuine community. And as Christians, we'll want to recognize that and just acknowledge that's the way our culture is going and say to ourselves, well, we want to be different as we're following Jesus. We want to be committed. Um, One way that we're looking to express this at the moment in our church culture is there's a bit of work going on to produce role descriptions for each of the young people's and children's organizations. And the idea is that the young youth and children's leaders will want to sign up to these uh, as a way of signing up to things that they're committed to as they go about their ministry with the children and young people. And studying this passage has really helped me as I've been doing my part of that work. Um, It's encouraged me that it is actually okay to ask for commitment from our leaders. Uh, we, we can expect that in Christian leadership. Because gospel leadership, it's like signing up for the army. It's like competing in the Olympics. It's like going out to dig. But this isn't just uh, the youth and children's leaders uh, or the ministers that this applies to. This is for all of us as we seek to share Jesus uh, and pass it on within our church family and beyond. And so maybe we need to do a little bit of reimagining of who our heroes are in this kind of work. It's not so much the great celebrity speaker who just rides in and it's all plain sailing, um, or the person who comes into your discipleship group and they've got all the answers, but you can't really rely on them to be there every week. Um, It's more the mum who comes every week to TOTS, even when it's raining, because she's committed to building long-term relationships with some of the other mums who come. Uh, It's the young man who turns down a promotion at work because he wants to prioritize serving his family and serving his church, and he's worried the promotion would jeopardize that. It's the discipleship group member who, even though their team is playing in the Champions League, decides to come out anyway and give themselves to encouraging the group. 
Uh, it's the couple who use their retirement uh, to give uh, older people lifts uh, and generally encouraging them in Jesus. Uh, those are all real examples, by the way, that I've seen in the last few weeks here at Kirkpatrick. So it is happening, and it's great. And those are the kind of images that we ought to have when we're thinking about Christian leadership. Uh, it's not flash, and it's not always a good laugh, although often it is. Um, but it is something that requires dedication and discipline and hard work. Well, why would, we, why would we do all this? Hang on a second. Why would we do all of this? Well, I think it helps to look at our commanding officer. We're soldiers, in a way, and we've got a commanding officer, and that's Jesus. And so this is where Paul goes to next. Flick over the page. Um, we're in verse 8. And Paul says, remember Jesus. And he also says, remember me, Paul. So verse 8. Remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David, This is my gospel, for which I'm suffering, even to the point of being chained like a criminal. If we had to tell people the gospel, I wonder what we'd say. I reckon many of us may well say something like, Jesus died for you, that's the gospel, he died to save you. Uh, But did you see what Jesus' gospel is? It's something a little bit different, isn't it? He says it's Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. It's actually an announcement about Jesus' kingship. And actually that fits in with the way the word gospel was used in New Testament times. It's not just a Bible word, it was used in the Roman Empire generally. And it was used whenever a new emperor came to the throne. The emperor would send out messengers into all the towns of the empire uh, to do something, to go and tell people that there was a new emperor on the throne. And when those guys got to the town and they kind of made their big proclamation that there's a new emperor on the throne and anyone who opposes him better realize that, that was a gospel. It was an announcement of a new king. And so that's what gospel means, really. It's it's about a king. And so Paul's gospel is that Jesus is God's king for the whole world. And he he, he unpacks that, that claim in two ways. He's raised from the dead. He's risen. God has raised him from the dead to be the king. And he's descended from David, the great Old Testament king, the one that God promised that his eternal king would come from. And so as Paul is encouraging Timothy to endure hardship as he goes around passing on the gospel, um, Paul's reminding Timothy that he's actually a messenger of the true king who sits on the throne. As he makes that announcement uh, that there's a king on the throne... He's saying, Jesus is risen from the dead. He's the king. He's descended from David. Even if the world is against him. But did you notice that as Paul does that, he doesn't erase Jesus' root from the throne to the throne. Um, Jesus is the king who is raised from death. And he's descended from David. Uh, If you know anything about David in the Old Testament, he spends a lot of time hiding in caves and on the run and writing some psalms that are real cries out for help because David had a difficult path to the throne and so did Christ. And so Paul says to Timothy, remember Jesus Christ, remember that the gospel has this pattern to it. You're proclaiming a king who suffered on his way to glory. And so it'll always be a similar pattern for anyone who shares the gospel. Um, As we tell people about a king who suffered, we should expect people to react the same way that they did to Jesus, the the king who did suffer. 
And that's exactly what's happening to Paul. He's in prison, verse 9, to the point of being chained like a criminal. Um, But God's word is not chained. And so his hardship is worth it. Verse 10. Therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they too may obtain the salvation that is in King Jesus with eternal glory. So that's the pattern of the gospel. It's bringing eternal glory by enduring hardship. It's the pattern for Jesus and for Paul and for Timothy and for anyone who's going to be sharing the gospel. And here's the main lesson for that. If we're we're finding that sharing Jesus is tough, if we're finding that hard, that really doesn't mean that something's gone wrong. If our friends don't want to know about Jesus, uh, or if the young people all start going to another church, uh, or if we find that Esther, um, like Esther was saying last week, if our kids don't want to know about Jesus, and that's being tough, that doesn't mean that we're doing it wrong. Um, We may want to look at what we're doing, sure, but we shouldn't automatically assume that we're getting it wrong. In fact, opposition may well be a sign that we're doing it right. That's what happened to Jesus. Um, and so in our, in our sharing of the gospel, but also in our hearts, uh, we need to keep together the two halves of that picture that Christoph spoke about. We need to keep together the cross and the crown. Jesus is raised from the dead, descended from David. Well, you may say, hang on, that, that's, that's great, cool, gospel leaders, off you go, go and do that. But that's not really for me. I'm not cut out for that. Well, whatever our role is in God's purpose, um, in the final part of the passage, Paul wants to show us that it really is vital that we all are prepared to endure hardship as Christians, whoever we are. So he's looked at the world, uh, he's looked at Jesus, and now he turns to our relationship with Jesus. And in verses 11 to 13, we get this trustworthy saying, a kind of a key statement that Paul quotes to build his his message on. So let me read that to us. Here is a trustworthy saying. If we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we disown him, he will also disown us. If we're faithless, he will remain faithful for he cannot disown himself. The background, I think, to this saying is actually something that I was sharing with the young people this weekend in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 10. Uh, Jesus says there, uh, anyone who does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Um, But whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. Uh, If anyone, Jesus says, acknowledges me before men, then I will acknowledge them before my Father in heaven. But if anyone disowns me before men, I will disown them before my Father in heaven. We cannot be Jesus' friends if we're unwilling to take up our cross and follow him. It doesn't make sense, does it? It would be a denial of Jesus and all that he stands for. Um, This isn't in my notes, but it would be like we gave up on following Ireland in the rugby just because they lost yesterday. We, we couldn't really claim to be Ireland supporters if we give up um, at the first hurdle. Well, we must uh, live with Jesus. We must follow him. We must take up our cross. I don't know about you, but growing up, um, I thought, well, look, here's the gospel. Jesus suffered for my sins on the cross, and I get to believe in him and go to heaven, and that's great. 
Well, that is right, isn't it? But that may leave us wondering slightly why we would have to face suffering as Christians. Surely Jesus has done that. The danger with that view is that then our faith could just become a sort of a ticket in our back pocket that we whip out when when we need to go to heaven, but it doesn't change our lives. But that doesn't seem to fit with what Jesus is saying about taking up our cross and following him. Um, And that's because our connection to Jesus is tighter than that. Have a look at verse 11. Paul says, if we died with him, we will also live with him. If we're trusting in Jesus, then we're actually united to him. We go where he goes. And so when he died, if we're trusting in Jesus, we also died. We died with him. And so our faith kind of makes us identified with Jesus. It joins us up to Jesus. It is a real union with him. And so we expect to suffer in life a bit like he did. Now, we won't Uh, all go to the cross and die to save the world. Only Jesus did that. But we would expect, uh, if our identity with Jesus is a real one, if our union with him is true, then we would expect to be treated the way he was. And so every Christian has to be prepared to endure hardship. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we disown him, he will also disown us. If we find that we don't want to stick with Jesus, if we find that we want to permanently dissociate ourselves from Jesus and keep our distance from him, because following him is just too tough, well, we're breaking that friendship with Jesus. We're breaking that relationship. Um, And he will disown us. If we're faithless, he will remain faithful. I think that means he can't disown himself, as Paul explains. Jesus died. That's what he came to do. And if we're not prepared to die with him, then... He cannot disown himself. Uh, In a moment, we're going to share communion. Uh, And I think this is a great illustration of this idea of joining Jesus and participating in his death. Uh, Just think about food. When you eat uh, any food, it comes into you and it comes and is part of you as you digest it. And you get the benefits of that food. But equally, if there's anything in that food that would maybe be difficult for you to to digest or maybe causes some problems for you, that also becomes part of you. You can't kind of have just part of the food. It comes and gives you your life and is part of you. And in the same way, the New Testament says that when we eat and drink the bread and the wine, that is a picture of us feeding by faith on Jesus, on his broken body and his shed blood. We eat Jesus in a way. We digest him as we trust him. And so he becomes part of us. But we can't just sort of have a bit of Jesus. We can't just have half of that image. We have to have the whole Jesus if we're united to him as we trust him. And so part of being a Christian is accepting this pattern. And the Lord's Supper is a great reminder of this. Um, we're coming to a close. Let me just, uh, let's just think a little bit um, about applying that a little bit more. Um, there's probably not many of us who would explicitly back a kind of prosperity gospel, an idea that if you just trust Jesus enough, he'll give you massive blessings in this life. Um, but I have to say that it gives me personally no great pleasure to preach a passage like this one, telling us to expect hardship as Christians. It's not easy, um, because I don't particularly enjoy it, and I know you don't either. And I think that's because 
honestly, there's a little bit of that prosperity gospel in all of us. Um, it surfaces when we, we find that we're surprised that following Jesus actually is kind of tough quite a lot of the time, when it doesn't always make our lives better immediately, when we feel that sharing Jesus has a cost or it damages our relationships with family and friends. Now, of course, following Jesus does bring uh, much joy, uh, much improvement in our life as we grow to become more like Christ and who we've been made to be. But at the same time, it brings treatment like Jesus. We must expect hardship then. And so don't be dismayed by hardship. Don't find it shocks you. Don't let it shock you. Uh, And don't run from it. As I've spoken about some of the costs this evening of gospel leadership, you may be thinking, I'd prefer to give that a miss, to be honest. But I hope you've seen that it is part part and parcel of the cost, but also the glorious reward, the glorious future of being a Christian. Um, As we join with Jesus in his death, as we endure with him, so we will also reign with him. As we take on whatever responsibilities he throws at us, uh, so we're enduring with him and will reign with him. Well, we're going to share communion with now, uh, communion now. And so as we do that, um, let's remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead. He's not crucified anymore, uh, but he is reigning, and he nourishes us uh, with his body and blood. He invites us to his table as his friends. We have communion with a risen saviour. What a wonderful thing. And, and as we eat that body, bread and wine, um, let's remember that we're feeding by faith on Jesus' broken body and shed blood. Remember that we're so vitally connected to him that though we may suffer hardship in this world, we will never die. Endure hardship like good soldiers of Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you for these great promises of the gospel that if we died with Christ, uh, we also will live with him. Father, we thank you that Jesus came uh, to bear our sin. Uh, Thank you that he came to bring us back into a a relationship with you. Um, And Lord, as we think about uh, some of the cost that comes uh, with following him, we ask that you'd strengthen us to endure hardship, to do all that you're calling us to do, uh, confident um, that as we endure... Uh, we also will reign with Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.